Hello, ladies, first listeners. Uh, heads up that this conversation with Rashida Jones was recorded a few months ago. Uh, thanks to better news on the pandemic, she has since left the house. Enjoy. I'm one of those people who believes that safety is an illusion. And, you know, we try hard for safety and security because it feels good. But the truth is, at any moment, anything can happen. Welcome to Ladies First with Laura Brown. I'm Laura Brown, editor-in-chief of InStyle Magazine, and each week I'm talking to a legendary lady about what she does, how she does it, and what we can learn from her. Now, going through Rashida Jones's CV is exhausting. She's an actress, she's a writer, she's a director, she's a producer, she's a singer. She's a renaissance woman. But the most amazing thing about Rashida is she grew up in Hollywood with her head on the street. Rashida? Welcome to Ladies First, number one. Thank you. You're on Ladies First because you're a first lady in what you do, not a first lady of the United States, but, you know, give you time. President, more like it. Anyway, too soon. But <laughs> I love you. That's why you're on here and you're just great. In in the core, as I think only in LA do people call it the core. core. Yeah, I've, I've rarely heard that. I like it, though. Yeah, the quarantine. In the early months of the quarantine... You just kept cutting your hair, right? Yep. How much did you cut? It was obsessive. I was taking all that energy and putting it into my shears, which was not a great place for that. But, you know, it's hair. It grows back. It does, God willing. Tell me, we, we are, we've been in, as I was saying, as we might say in the 19th century, in confinement for, what's this, 10 months. How's yours been and what have you been up to and what's been helpful to get up to during this? I would say the first six months for me personally, this is not to disregard any of the suffering in the world and all of the stuff that people have felt. But for me personally, it was kind of a nice respite because I think I am a kind of like undercover introvert. So to have six months just to be at home and not be able to go out and not have to go anywhere. It was really like a, it was a nice byproduct of something that is obviously very not nice. But, and then I think, you know, it shifted to like, what next is there? And when next, like it wasn't even what next, it was when next, because it's almost like, I think if everybody knew, all right, guys, this is it. Just two more months use this time wisely, and then we'll all be back out in the world. But I think the Sisyphean, circular nature of it, where you just don't know where the end is, so the reset, it doesn't feel like it's part of the process. Like I think that's what's become like the most overwhelming feeling. The ambiguity of it, the, the inability to know when, when anything. Yeah. When or, anything. Or- when anything. But, but I guess it is the biggest lesson of life, you know, whether you're in pandemic times or not, which is like, everything is unpredictable. And I'm one of those people who believes that safety is an illusion. And, you know, we try hard for safety and security because it feels good. But the truth is at any moment, anything can happen. Yeah. Well, have there been any more, any other sort of domestic ticks that you've been engaging with? Like, did you go through the closets? Did you? Yeah, I did. And then I got a sourdough starter. I mean, I don't know. I didn't get a starter because I missed the, I missed the trend and they were all sold out. Um, I did do, I had a banana bread phase. I do a lot of zoom aerobics and things, but toning and aerobics, trampoline. Do you Um, do a trampoline? Yeah. 
Are you good at it? I mean, it's not, when you work out a trampoline, you always look awkward because you're like, you're not like jumping and enjoying yourself. You're like trying to like hold your core. So I don't look good at it, but I get a workout. You know what? Have at it, sister. Now, I want to just quickly talk about how we met. You and I actually met because I was very close with your late mom, Peggy, which now sort of makes me sort of giggle because you and I are very similar in age. About the same age, actually. But I was friends with your mom. And then I would see you at things. But, you know, and we sort of could run up to each other and talk because we sort of had your mom in common. It's a less expected way to become mates. It is. But as you know, my mom is the coolest. And she is she is, and was the conduit for so much good. And, like, and, and, is, and was a essentially a teenager and has like, you know, had the most youthful spirit. There was nothing convalescent about my mom. You know, she was a girl. So I get it. She's fun and funny and vibrant and stylish and cool and, you know. And deeply missed. With this podcast, I I try to think about, it's totally arbitrary, but I think about sort of an essence of each woman, like, like you were a fine Fine fragrance, Joan. And um, <laughs> you're like, oh, oh. right now. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know what I smell like these days. Anyway, but when I think of you, I think of sort of two things, independence and pragmatism. Because growing up as you grew up with the father you had, the mother you had, Quincy Jones, Peggy, the environment you grew up with, you could be an absolute freak. <laughs> I mean, you don't know that I'm not. Just <laughs> but you to be hide fair. it. You hide it in a nice, elegant black sweater on a chic couch. But you're <laughs> not job. No, but you know, exposed to the things you were exposed to in LA, the music industry, the whole world of it is is a lot uh, for for someone who doesn't have a good sense of themselves, doesn't have a a certain curiosity about things other than that. But uh, this is what I I what, want to. Get it as um you grew up in this universe. Right. When I was like six, my dad was working on some like ET adjacent thing. <laughs> ET adjacent. <laughs> yeah. And he, my mom picked me up from school and was like, I have a surprise. And under my uniform, I was wearing my ET t-shirt, of course, because I was obsessed. And I had my ET doll and she and they took me to go meet ET. You know, like that's just weird. That's not normal. Hang on, wait. <laughs> How was the conversation? He's a delight. I mean, just worldly, well-read. It was just like the animatronic thing that they used in the movie. But, I mean, I was six. So I was like, I'm meeting my guy. And in the photo, like, it's a family photo plus E.T. And I'm, like, just gripping on his finger, just, like, holding on to him and so serious, it, like that's like I'm not letting go of my friend. Did his finger light up when you gripped it? No, I think that was a different robot. This was just like the hang guy, you know. And so that was like a Tuesday. Yeah, right. So you know, when you're in it, you just don't know until you have some experience in the outside where somebody else verifies that they think it's weird. Right. I think still there's times where I share a story and I'm not bragging. I'm not embarrassed. I'm not, I'm not saying it to be like in any way incendiary. And somebody's like, that's weird. What was one of your most, your first 
it really truly independent experiences was a a school travel uh, i always wanted to get out which is hilarious because people like flock to hollywood and I just wanted to like go on like my Spanish exchange trip and I just wanted to go away for the summer. I didn't even apply to a college in California, maybe one because I had to, but everything else was like East Coast, like <laughs> get out of here. I was ready to go. I was ready to go. And how did it feel when you finally went? Where'd you go again? Sorry. We Harvard. Went to Harvard. <laughs> I just wanted you to say Harvard. I know. It's by the way, it, it's still like so embarrassing. It feels like a trap. And it feels like there's no way that I could say it that's not gonna sound stupid. But but tell me about little baby Harvard Jones. I mean the reality is it's very different than LA and that first winter, whoa, it knocked me out. Like Boston winter, Cali girl, oof. My sophomore year I got randomized into like the furthest dorm away from campus, <laughs> which is like, it's like a whole thing where you're like, oh my God, you ended up in the quad. I remember standing waiting for the shuttle after class and it was like a snowstorm and my hair was blowing in my face with frost and snow. And by the time I got back to my dorm, I, I literally had to run my whole head under like a hot faucet because my hair was frozen to my face. Oh, you must miss that. I do not miss that. When did you start to make funny friends? When did your brain start to go, oh, these in independent sort of personalities, they're kind of my speed? I like sketch comedy from a very early age. And then when I got to school, I didn't do improv or anything. I did theater. I wanted to be academic. I wanted to be taken seriously, whatever that meant at 17. So I think I felt like... Comedy didn't feel, it didn't feel like attainable to me as like a legitimate career at that point. How important for you was it to do something that you thought to be legitimate? Very. I think that was my version of rebelling, you know, because I had these artist parents and I thought that was the way to kind of like individuate. When did you start to arc back to? Arts. Yeah. Really, it, it was like a mental health thing because my sophomore year of college, I suffered my first bout of depression, which I'd never really had. And I don't think I shared it and I didn't talk to anybody and I wasn't, I didn't see anybody for it. it I just was going through it. And I, I don't think I even knew what it was. I just knew that I couldn't get out of bed and I knew that uh, everything felt kind of meaningless and... And I think I hadn't, until that point, I don't think I understood that depression was real. Like I thought people were just not pushing through or whatever. And that's not, you know, it's, it's chemical. It's so theater is the thing that helped me. Luckily I got a couple parts and plays my sophomore year for color girls who have considered suicide when the rainbow is enough. It was so full on. And like, you know, I had to talk to the audience and, and to kind of pour my heart out and, you know, be present and all that stuff. And I think there was something about that was so like electrifying. It just helped me to push through. And then I also did a Gilbert and Sullivan show. <laughs> a natural extension of the former. And does it, how much does that help your mental health mood now? The, the idea of performing or being around those who do? You know, it's so weird because as when you act like so so little of the time you spend is actually acting. 
like there's so much preparation and blocking and showing up to work and traveling to the location and fittings and hair and makeup and all that stuff. So being in the flow of it, it's such a small amount of the time. God, I would love to do a play with like no stakes, just go and rehearse and be around people. I mean, I feel like the last time I had that experience was we did this one act play for the opening ceremony show. I think it was like 2014 or 2013 at the Met. Did you, were you there? Yeah. Yeah. And we had the best time. We just rehearsed for a week and spent time together and dug into something. And it was, it was so fun. It was just like, you know, it was like that feeling of like just doing something together. I love community. I love the idea of everybody being there. I I don't like to stand up and like take credit for something by myself. It's only fun for me when, when there's collaboration, like that's the fun of it. I try to pick places with people I want to spend time with because that's how I learn. That's how I get better. And that's actually how the process becomes fulfilling for me. What has been the experience you've had professionally that you've really learned the most from, or you felt yourself get palpably better by doing? Ooh, I mean, I would have to say different things for different facets of my still very much evolving skill set. But like, you know, parks and recreation, six years of working, you know, great scripts and then being able to improv with like this deep bench of comedic actors. That is the best education ever. I mean, you just become so adept at at, at keeping a story alive, like keeping the ball in the air and keeping the story alive. And then also like figuring out what your funny is and how that is different than the people around you, because nobody on that show has the same version of funny. That to me is like, that's when you're like reverberating, when you're transcending is when everybody knows where they are. And no, it's, there's no, co- there was no competition on that show. Like everybody was like in their lane and like the best way possible. And how rare and lovely is that to have? And I think, look, obviously the culture's changed so much in Hollywood in the, in the past few years for women. And, and But how have you seen the idea of community between actors or between women change in the last few years? All these kind of giant seismic shifts that happened, time is such a flat circle right now. I guess like three years ago with Me Too and Time's Up, you know, I would say one of the best things that came out of that moment was that I think everybody had felt siloed in their own lane of like, I have to keep my career on the tracks and I have to figure out how to speak up without, you know, alienating myself. And there was this moment where everybody came together and was like, wait, that exact same thing happened to you, which is like, it's such a, it's such a powerful moment because you realize like you haven't been alone this whole time. How have you dealt with it when you have felt isolated? I think there's been so many times in my life where I'm like, I put like one of those pins, those like iPhone pins, like location pins. And I say, I don't want to feel this way again. I don't want to feel this alone ever again. How, what can I do? How can I retrofit my next experience so that I don't end up here again? Yeah. I call them little bridges. It is these little seminal bridges and you just go, and you go, thank you. I'm not going back over that side. Yes, right. Exactly. Then you like blow up the bridge behind you. You're like, thanks. Yeah. Thanks, Island. Like Nick Cage. Like Nick Cage. Yeah. Not looking back.
Welcome back to Ladies First with me, Laura Brown. Now I'm back with Rashida Jones, one of the smartest and most curious cats you'll ever meet. What are you most confident in? What are you least? I would say probably most confident at this age, just knowing that if I have to talk to somebody that I'll, I'll be able to have a conversation. Just knowing that you're not ever going to be totally and completely 100% awkward in a situation. You'll find some way in. I remember being at like a dinner with like friends and then friends of friends that I wasn't that close to and I wasn't sure what I had in common. And I decided to start talking about vaginas. Icebreaker. I knew everybody there had one and wanted to talk about it on some level. And they did it like truly people like started talking about it. It was like a whole different conversation. Uh, wait, what makes you nervous? The fact that I just said that on the air, um, what makes me nervous? So many things make me nervous. Oof. Uh, red carpets make me nervous. Uh, big speeches make me very, 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 very nervous. Do you have a thing that you kind of revert to now that you can sort of a fail safe? I have to totally pretend like I'm somewhere else. I have to pretend like I'm having a great conversation with somebody who's making me laugh. I have to blank out everybody there and just like actually try to think of a fun, a fun friend of mine saying something funny. That's the only way I can get through it. Especially when you're doing the over the shoulder kiss, which is your signature. I don't think I've ever done that. There's still time. That's true. Well, not, not today and not this month. Could you imagine going out anywhere? No. I'm like, no, no, no. My lockdown is so real. I picked food up from somewhere and people were sitting at a restaurant. I couldn't imagine anything less relaxing than sitting, being a sitting duck during an airborne pandemic. I just couldn't. I mean, no, no disrespect to people who feel comfortable. But for me, I cannot, I can't get down with it. Because you pragmatize, you pragmatize. I am, uh, I'm pragmatic and maybe overly pragmatic sometimes. I wore a mask on the plane for the past decade. Like that's how I rolled. And people made fun of me, obviously. And I did it, you know, I did it for two reasons. One is I don't know if I'm like on the verge of sick or whatever. And also I didn't want to get sick. And, you know, to be honest, it helped. It did help me. And you're you're old mates with uh, Naomi Campbell, the OG... Um, full hazmat. Yes, we have talked about it a lot. We talk about a wipe down protocol. Yeah, for sure. Feels like you should distribute flyers. I Uh, mean, listen, Jones and Campbell's wipe down (laughs) protocol. Now, hang on. In your pragmatic, creative way, you have, while barely leaving the house and perhaps never leaving again, you had a movie come out, you had on the rocks come out, uh, premiered that, and what's it like doing press from your cat? And a TV show. Yeah. And what was it like to do all of that sort of press and promotion like from your couch? I mean, to be very honest, I was so relieved because <laughs> I like being home. And I think we've also figured out that there's a way to do it from your home. It's, it means we can have these kinds of like long form conversations, which I find way more interesting than a five minute segment here and there. But you tell me about this podcast. So you started this podcast with um, a young guy from the help desk. An upstart. Called Bill William Gates. Um, how did that come about and how's it going and what's the plan? And tell me everything. You know, we have mutual friends who thought we would uh, like each other and have a lot to talk about. And we had a couple like, you know, 
Zoom blind dates just to see how we felt about, I mean, not that kind of blind date. He's got the most incredible wife in the world, Melinda Gates, as as we all are familiar with. And Ezra's not so bad either. And then we just had a lot to talk about. And I think we're both kind of interested in these, these like bird's eye. I mean, he has the resources to actually impact these questions and these problems. Um, but I think we both share this idea of how do we collectively fix problems? This thing is sort of like organically taken shape, which is that he is an optimist and I, I, I tend to be a realist, a pragmatist, if you will. And that's, that's a good contrast, you know? Luckily, he's the optimist. I'm glad that the guy with all of the money is the optimist. <laughs> oh, so, hang on, it's a white man with with billions and billions of yeah, dollars. Yeah, what's he up? happy about? What's what? What does he have to be happy about? No, but no, but he's face faced with so much information that could make him very about illness and everything else that could make one very very pessimistic. I do understand that because he he sees more of that every day than you and I do. Yeah. Yeah. And also he, you know, I think the reason I felt okay and happy to talk to him about stuff is because he's the first person to acknowledge that he has more money than he should. He doesn't tout this regularly. And like, we don't talk about on the show, but like he's committed to giving away 95% of his wealth while while he's still alive, which is way better than a lot of other very, very, very rich people who have, you know, whatever that crazy Bernie Sanders number is that like, like three people have the wealth of the bottom 80% of this country, whatever insane number it is, like, you know. It's something grotesque. It's a failure of free market capitalism, and he's very, very aware of that. I mean, he's not going to fix that problem because we love, everybody loves money, but he can take the money that he's gotten from this system and put it in places where he really feels like he can save lives. And he has saved millions of lives. Yes, of course, it's Bill Gates, and he's a one of the most powerful men in the globe, but how great is it to be able to take your brain somewhere else with these conversations over this time? I'm very happy and grateful and relieved in a way. It's been so nice to have these these conversations with these big-brained people about our future and about where we are right now because I think everybody's suffering this, like, existential crisis. So to be able to talk to, like, Yuval Noah Harari and Elizabeth Colbert and all these people who know things and study this and have been thinking about what our world looks like and why it looks the way it does and how can we make it better for so long, like, was it was a it was a relief for me, honestly. Yeah, I mean, because the rest of us just go, all ask all those questions, get wrung out and go, Bridgerton! <laughs> well that's the thing is we're just looking we, we're looking for something cozy and to placate and that's why like binge watching is such a thing right now because it temporarily helps to quell that feeling like we're lost and we're floating in space you know i love a good quell um how are you feeling the beginning of 2021 versus how you would like to feel at the end mm. you know i like Listen, things change whether you want them to or not. So things will change for better, for worse, whatever, whatever. That's that's a part of being alive. I hope that having all globally endured a pandemic, hopefully by the end of 2021, we will have learned something about each other and ourselves. Because my my concern is that, you know, we are adaptable. And the minute this is over, we're going to go back to normal life. What are we going to take with us? 
are we going to be able to take care of each other and consider each other in a new way? I mean, I feel like my mind during this time, if nothing else, it has, it has expanded in all these crazy directions where I don't, my idea of right and wrong, this kind of fixed idea of like how things are supposed to be, it's not that anymore. It's murky and it's gray and it's spilling over in a way that I'm really grateful for because I thought I was done changing because I'm middle-aged and I'm, I was wrong. I have all these other ideas and thoughts and feelings and philosophies and I'm challenging the way I see the world. Everybody's going to come out changed from this. And as is always the way, the, the people who have less and are systemically dealing with issues will disproportionately be affected by this moment. People will lose their jobs and their homes and their families and their health and and all these things that like it's going to take years and years to rebuild and it's going to take us caring about each other to do that. Yeah, and it's not just like, oh, cool, I can go to Cabo again. Yeah, it's going to be like that for some people, that's for sure. Talk to Bill about the, the <laughs> Instagrammers from Cabo over New Year's break. Okay, finally we do this cheeky thing called 10 Firsts. Okay, you ready? The first drink you order. Tequila soda with lime juice. That's responsible. And are a lot of those going down? I mean, it depends on the night. No, I didn't have wine last night. I felt like a monk. <laughs> I know, I just took a week off and was like... What's that like? <laughs> it's weird. It's weird. Actually, I haven't had a drink yet. Oh, I should have a drink tonight. It's been like, it's been like 10 days. God. Uh, first thing you look at on your phone in the morning. Um, you know what? I'm not trying to be pious, but these days I really, 2021, I really tried meditation app. I'm not looking at a text, no news before coffee. That's my, one of my resolutions is to remember that I'm the boss and that the, the influx of information is up to me and that I can choose what my day is going to be like. And I can set myself up for a better day if I like really control the top 30. So you don't want to start the day just with pure flagellation. Yeah, I try not to do that. And not end with it either. Anyway, okay. First person you call. First person I call. Oh, my first instinct was my mom. Always. It's always to call my mom. But then my dad. Then I call my dad. And how is your dad? And how often have you been able to see him? I've seen him on Zoom a lot. I don't feel comfortable seeing him, but he has the best attitude. He's in great spirits and he's over there working out and doing puzzles and just like using his time well. He's seen it all. You know what I mean? Like this is not the thing that's going to break him. I'm not concerned. Okay. First and most recent fashion splurge. Okay. The first one I can remember is I bought myself when I was 20, mm, 20, I bought myself a pair of Gucci stilettos they were and so uncomfortable, you... <laughs> but they're gorgeous. I can't see you in Gucci stilettos now. Never again, never again. And then most recent, what have I bought myself that was most recently a splurge? God, it's so weird. There's so many sweatpants in my life right now. I bought some Rachel Comey sweatshirts recently. And I, I recently bought like a gorgeous puffy army jacket. 
First time you owned your shit. First time I owned my shit? What does that mean? First time you went, I've got this. I freaking know what's up. I'm not going to do that. Right. Ooh. I wrote a movie with my friend Will, and we sold it in 48 hours. We sold, we had like a bidding war and we sold it. And it was the first time I was like, oh my God. Cause you know, I wasn't a professional writer and nobody knew me as a writer and nobody cared that we were writing a script. Cause we were just two actors writing a script. So I think like the fact that just based on a script, people wanted to give us money for that said script. And one company even were like, we'll buy the script, but like Rashida can't play the lead because, you know, she's not like famous enough, but we want to buy it for like another actress. I was even flattered by that because I was like, right. oh, you like my writing enough that you don't even care, you know? Right. Oh, rich tapestry. Okay. First date. I went to see Goodfellas with my first love, Eric Biddle and his dad. When I was like 14 or 15. That's so a good, good. family yarn. Oh. I know. It was such a good movie. Still one of my favorites. Did you and Eric hold hands? Yeah, we did. Young love. First thing you turn on TV? I actually love, like, local news. When I lived in New York, New York One was on all day for me. I loved the weather guy. I loved the entertainment. I loved the music. Do they still do that? Oh, yeah. No, we watch it all the time. First thing you do or eat if you're stressed? Probably a glass of wine, but maybe something in like the pizza mac and cheese family. Yeah, they're, they're, they're a close family. Okay, first car you bought? I had a job in high school in the summers. I worked for our family friend, Michael Austin, at Warner Brothers Records. And my parents were like, we're not going to buy you a car. But if you make money, we will match your money. And then you can get a used car. So I bought Michael's used Range Rover senior year of high school. And my parents matched the money that I made over the summers. What color? Black, big, like very traditional. Did you think you were like all that? Yeah. Oh, yeah. For sure. Like there's actually a picture of me in the high school yearbook with me like in my cheerleading outfit, my song girl outfit, like leaning on my car. Yeah. I want to see that. Thank you. Okay. Lastly, the first thing you'll do when this godforsaken pandemic is over. Hug my dad. To tackle him, actually. And then travel somewhere, probably Sweden or Italy. Sweden's great and also makes me feel sober. Sober? Because they drink so much? (laughs) Oh, God. Yeah, no, they really do. On that note, Rashida Jones... Um, thanks for joining. <laughs> what a journey. Thank you, Laura. You're so good at that. Well, you know, so you're good and you know yourself and why I admire you and why we've become as, as friends as, as I've always seen that in you without even knowing you and seeing the, the way you distinguish yourself in, in a place, a location and industry, which is very easy to become consumed and you never have. So... Keep on, and especially if you ever leave the house again. (laughs) Thank you. I, I hope I do. I hope we all do. This has been Ladies First with Laura Brown. We can be found wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks to our production team at Pod People, Rachel King, 
Matt Savarese, Danielle Roth, Anne Ford, Anne Kane, and Erica Wong. And thanks to Brian Anstey, Molly Stout, and Haley Mason at InStyle. You can find out more at InStyle.com. Find us on Instagram at InStyle Magazine, on Twitter at InStyle, and you can find me on Insta and Twitter at LauraBrown99. 